You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. I mean, this is quite a unique church. You go from carry, you know, concealed carry to make up to secret pals. And so, my goodness gracious, there's not much more that could be said. But I'm honored to be with you. Uh, my goodness gracious, Bishop, you know, I was getting ready to speak for a dear friend of mine who has a great deep voice and he's praying before the service and he's going, oh God. Bless my brother who's an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist. He's going on and I think a little different. And I'll tell you why in a moment. I'm going apostle, prophet, evangelist. A-P-E. Spells ape. <laughs> well, God, I'll be a monkey for you. I'll just do whatever you want. And I got up and told the church that very same thing. I'm not very religious. I hope you understand that. I'm going to give you a little insight into my background here. First of all, I'm from New Jersey. How many of you said, not many of you laughed. I'm actually from the Jersey Shore, born and raised there. Those of you that knew that program, those kids weren't from there. I am. Secondly, I'm Jewish by birth, born and raised that way. Thirdly, I was a heroin addict thrown out of the state of New Jersey on narcotics charges a long time ago. Those are three very important facts that will give you a little insight into my perspective this morning. Number one, how many of you know New Jersey's not in the Bible Belt? <laughs> Secondly, being Jewish means I never went to church. You see, today we talk about church people, unchurched people. I don't fit into either of those categories. I'm a never, ever, 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 ever churched person. <laughs> and yet the crazy thing of it is, is I'm an American. <laughs> Born and raised in the most highly educated, densely populated, wealthy part of the United States of America. The place where Christianity first came to this country. And yet there's not great traces that it was ever there. So I, I, I'm as much an unreached people group in and of myself than anyone in any foreign nation on this planet. But one day after getting thrown out of the state of New Jersey, and I, I landed in that suburb of Oklahoma called Kansas to the north. My father had family there. I started in Garden City and ended up in Great Bend because I started dealing drugs in Garden City. My uncle at that time was president of the Kansas Oilmen's Association, so it didn't go over very well. And I'm sitting in a high school assembly. I was enrolled in four high schools, attended three, was expelled from one. And I'm sitting in a high school assembly one day, looking a little different. We all clean up good on Sunday now, don't we? Praise the Lord. <laughs> But I was about 70 pounds lighter than I am today. I had long scraggly hair and a pierced ear and eight hairs hanging from my chin in a desperate teenage attempt to grow a beard. <laughs> Not like some of you gentlemen here today. 
But as I sat in the balcony that day, it was an anti-drug assembly. Frankly, I had no interest because there was nothing new that this man could tell me. I was 19, I knew everything. Huh. But then as I sat in the balcony, I felt like something brushed across my face and I heard a voice speaking to me. It wasn't a loud, booming, audible voice, but it was a quiet, emphatic thought that spoke to me from the inside that said, hey, go listen to this guy. He's got something to say because you don't know everything. And I began to listen more with my heart than with my mind. My mind was manufacturing excuses why I shouldn't listen to him. Our mind is a good manufacturing plant at times that way. But at the end of his lecture, I felt compelled to talk to him. I chased him 20 miles to make a long story short. We ended up at an A&W root beer stand parking lot of the thing from Americana a long time ago. We began to talk about three things, drugs, rock and roll, and Jesus. That's a great three-point sermon. But you see, what caught my attention that day was I met a man who had Jesus in his life and wasn't afraid to show it. Those were the days when they would greet most weird-looking people in the back of most churches with a pair of scissors and a can of Lysol. And they would go, boy, you need to get shaved or you can get saved. But they never heard that Jesus catches his fish before he cleans them. How many of you have ever been fishing? How many of you have ever been near somebody fishing? How many of you aren't going to raise your hand no matter what I ask? Have you ever heard a fish say, fisherman say, fish, hear me well. The only fish I'm catching today are ones that don't smell. Ones that don't taste like fish. Fish that don't have bones or head or tail. Matter of fact, you don't even go to my hook. You go straight to the grill. <laughs> Oftentimes in church, in Christianity, we go fishing for the souls of men, women, and children just like that. Yeah, wow. Wow. And you see, I had no idea. I, I had no idea what the gospel was. I had no idea who Jesus Christ was. I had no idea about Christianity. And yet when I saw something in this young man, I wanted whatever he had. I didn't know what it was. But I made up my mind I was going to get it. And as I sat in the front seat of a 69 red and white Malibu Super Sport Chevy, great car. I didn't know that I had to repeat, repeat the four spiritual laws, answer an altar call in a church service. But I bowed my head and cried out in my heart, not even verbalizing it, God, if you can do everything this man's talking about, then go on ahead and do it. I made the amazing discovery on that day many years ago that Jesus Christ is not religious, but that he will answer in honor the sincere heart cry of any man, woman, boy, or girl who'll call on him. Immediately, I felt like someone come in on the inside of me with a scrub brush and a hose, cleaning me out from all the garbage and crud. Then something began to happen within 90 minutes. I didn't know whether I should do this or not. I hadn't been to church yet. I just started telling people what had happened in my life. A little town of Great Bend, Kansas, I'm stopping cars at traffic lights, wanting them to know that Jesus Christ will change your life and giving them a little pamphlet about God. I wanted the world to know that if Jesus can change me, he can change anybody. Amen. 
funny thing, at that point in time, the Holy Spirit drafted me into ministry. That was a long time ago. How long? None of your business. <laughs> but I felt like Jesus called us as missionaries to America. I've been around the world. But I believe we're in a great place at a great time to see God do something fantastic and phenomenal. I want to speak to you this morning out of an amazing chapter of Scripture. You know, Jesus often brought forth truth in the form of stories, or we call them parables. And Luke chapter 15 has three simple parables that unfold one great truth, a truth that's helped my walk with Jesus Christ. And I've learned something in over 45 years of preaching, that if I bring to you something that I simply drafted in a study setting, it'll have value and benefit. But if I can speak to you something that has touched my heart and changed my life, I have a better opportunity to connect with your heart and your life. And that's what I've asked Jesus for today. One life here today. And I'm going to speak with you today about the incredible, amazing value of one. Holy Spirit, help me in the minutes we have together today. I thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness, your grace, that you've come and you've gathered in, well, along with us because we've gathered in your name. You inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Is this thing on? Is this thing working? Okay, great. I, I can't hear up here, but I hope you can hear out there. That's more important. Three stories we're going to look at here today out of Luke chapter 15. Number one, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. This is in verse 1 of Luke 15. It's called the parable of the lost sheep, incidentally. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, you're gonna have to, I'm a city boy to the core, so I have to really work to wrap my mind around this particular parable. I mean, we don't herd sheep in New Jersey. <laughs> but there's a concept here that I get, and I'll bring to you in a moment. He said, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts his hands on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. Now, while I am a city boy, I am also Jewish. And what that means is I have a little business program in the back of my brain that just runs naturally. <laughs> and when I read this story, that business program kicks in. Because I have to imagine moving a hundred sheep from point A to point B. One of them wanders off. And the Bible doesn't tell us what kind of a sheep the wanderer was. Was it the blue ribbon prize winning perfect specimen of a sheep? Or was it the one that was a little slow? <laughs> kind of wandered <laughs> along its own path. Looked at you a little funny, you know what I'm saying?
But immediately when the one goes awry, a business decision comes into play. Do I put 99 at risk? Do I risk maybe getting to market late? Do I risk time? Do I risk money? Do I risk greater loss, cut my losses and move on? Or do I take the risk and go after the one? Of course, we know the story. The shepherd took the risk, goes out and rescues the one. But you know, the one thing I like about this story as well is that when he finds that one sheep, he doesn't go, you rascal, you bang, get back in there. You cost me a whole lot of time. I could have lost more money. Get out. <laughs> Didn't say that. So he picked up the one sheep, put it on his shoulders, went back singing, this is the day the Lord has made, or something like that maybe. I don't know. Parable number one. Parable number two. As we continue in Luke chapter 15, looking at verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Say one with me. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Have you ever lost a $5 bill? $10 bill or $20 bill? I can see by the look on some of you. You don't have to raise your hand or ignore. I don't want to have marital distress over that lost $10 bill <laughs> right now. But what did you do when you discovered it was missing? What did I have on yesterday? Those clothes I'm about ready to toss out. Check the pockets. I need that $10 bill. You stop everything you're doing to go look for something of great value it's missing. Of course, when this woman found that one coin, I mean, she sent out a bulk text, got on a group call and said, hey, everybody, I found my money. Meet me at Starbucks. It's a venti on me with pastries. <laughs> Little up to date story here. She stopped everything she was doing to find something of Great value that's missing. Went out of her way, inconvenienced their plans. Third story. This is the story of the prodigal of the lost son. And if you'll permit me, I'm going to bring the story up to date in our thinking. In, in our, but the, the truth will remain the same, although the context will be very current. Will you permit me to do that? Thank you for your permission. <laughs> You see, what you've got here in this story is you've got a man that's got two sons. Older and younger, obviously. The older son, number one son, great guy. You can count on him. He's reliable. He's faithful. He's running his father's business. Whenever number one son is on the scene, no worries, mate. It's all going to go well. Number two, junior. I call him sport. He shows up at work at two, leaves at three, thinks he's put in a real long, hard day. <laughs> he's part, he's hard, and, and you know, I mean, he, you know, life's happening for him. I mean, he's running fast and furious, and one day he shows up at his pop's office, and he looks at him, he says, look, pops, I know the story. When you die, I'm gonna get a boatload of money. 
So here's the deal. Why don't you write my check now? I'm young, I'm good looking. See my sweetheart out there? Why don't you give me my money now so I can enjoy it while I'm young? <laughs> Crazy pops writes the check. Sonny boy sees all the zeros in that check. Eyes roll back in his head. Regains his composure, goes straight to Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, buys a first-class ticket to Los Angeles. <laughs> Gets picked up by a limousine. Rents a house in the Hollywood Hills. He partying with the stars. Photobombing on TMZ. <laughs> What's that? Ask somebody who laughed. <laughs> then the money is gone. Credit cards, maxed. Can't pay the rent. He goes from a nice home, nice family, Hollywood Hills to a place in Los Angeles called Skid Row. Anyone ever been to Skid Row in Los Angeles? I minister there often. It's a small section of downtown Los Angeles where between three and 6,000 people live on the streets at any given time. They live under cardboard boxes, makeshift tents and blankets. The air smells of sweat, urine, and cheap liquor. And the boy ends up down there. And the Bible says he comes to his senses. And he looks at himself, he looks at his situation, because he, he's eating out of garbage cans. And he goes, what am I doing? People that work for my old man, making an hourly wage, got more money and more food in the refrigerator, and I'm eating literal garbage. I'm going home. I've messed up. I've done wrong. He goes home. Pop sees him coming down the road. Pause on that story. You know, funny thing is, parents often get, often get blamed for the stupid choices of grown children. <laughs> we do it in church. Not right. That kid made the dumbest moves in the world, blew his money, probably maybe sullied his father's reputation. You see, this story is real to me. When I was arrested for aiding and abetting the sale of heroin and possession of narcotics, my name at the front page of the newspaper. My father worked for the federal government, had a high-level security clearance, and he lost it because of my insanity. He later got it back. So I understand that, and I'm thinking, people might have looked at this boy's father and went, what's wrong with that father and mother? Look at that boy, he blew his inheritance. Wild, crazy living. People aren't trading in his store. I mean, I, I started to think about the, all the reasons the father could have said, I wish that boy never would come home. I wish he'd kept him and his trouble and his stuff in California and never come back here. He's ruined me. But he didn't take that position.
He looked at him. And the Bible says he saw that son coming down the road and he picked up his iPhone 6 Plus. <laughs> I told you I'd make it current. And he starts calling everybody. He starts calling all of his staff and his workers. He says, look, my son, who is dead, is now alive. He's lost. He's now found. We're going to party tonight. I call the caterer. I want barbecue. I want steak. I want ribs. I want Mexican. I want pizza. I want, I want everything. I want a DJ. I want the boy to have an Armani suit and a gold ring. He was dead. He's now alive. My boys, come on. You see, these three stories have an obvious point of connection. In each particular case, we are made acutely aware of the incredible, immeasurable value of one. One sheep, one coin, one young man. One. In our own situation here today, on this first Sunday of 2016, we are talking about the amazing value of one single life. You see, first of all, my friend, every individual person has an immeasurable value in the sight of God. Because each and every one of us on this planet are made in God's image. Every drunk, every drag queen, every rowdy college student, every inner city street kid, every businessman, every farmer, black, white, purple, brown, pinstripe, polka dot, or chartreuse are made in the image of God, according to Genesis 1.26. Now let me move ahead here. If you looked at Mark chapter 16, this is where Jesus had already been crucified and raised from the dead. There was three women who went to the tomb of Jesus to anoint his body. When they show up, there's an angel sitting there. And the angel looks at these three ladies and go, he's gone. He's not here. And at this point, we get a glimpse into the heartbeat of God. Because the angel says in verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Crazy. Go tell the disciples. But the angel didn't say, go tell the disciples and, and John. You know, John the beloved. You ever know, like, know anybody who... They're just kind of warm and fuzzy when you're around them, and you just feel so encouraged and blessed and uplifted. I kind of get that picture about John the Beloved. <laughs> so it didn't, you know, it, 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 the angel didn't say, go tell the disciples in John the Beloved. Neither did he say, go tell the disciples and Jesus' brother James. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter, the one who just denied Jesus three times. How many of you would want to go to lunch with somebody after church? And they said, I don't know you. 
Don't know you, man. Uh-uh. Don't know who you are, and you don't know me. Would you want to go, hey, say, would you want to go eat lunch with me today? No way. Peter just pulled that. Secondly, he had an anger management problem. They were doing park ministry, and it sliced off a guy's ear. Thirdly, he used bad language. You know anybody with a bad temper and who cusses? Not that you're here today. <laughs> Peter. This is Peter. Jesus was saying, I want Peter to know I'm here. I'm back. I've not forgotten him. It's going to be okay. Tell Peter. You see, while the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ took place for the entire world, my friend, all of the human race, it was also designed for one. In this case, Peter, but that's not all. I've often found it interesting that the first person Jesus appeared to after the resurrection was Mary Magdalene, a woman who had a lot of trouble in her life. Why would Jesus make this special effort to connect with Peter? Because he needed it. Jesus knew Peter needed a second chance. And so do we. A new year represents a new chance. Every new day represents a new chance. Hey, are you here today needing another chance in life? A second chance, a third chance, a 53rd chance. God has that opportunity for you, my friend. Again, don't miss this. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was done for the whole world for all times, but it was also designed for one, not just Peter or Mary Magdalene, but me and you here today. Today we're talking about just one life. Think about what just one life can accomplish in 2016. You go to the Bible, just one life. You've got the life of Moses, the giver of the law, Ten Commandments, played by Charlton Heston in the movies. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> of course, his life didn't start out very well. His mother put him in a basket, stuck him in a river to hide him from the enemy, whom he got picked up by. <laughs> kind of crazy. And you got... You got David. Man, David's life is something else. Wow. You know, David had a legitimate reason to spend his entire life in psychotherapy. <laughs> he really did. The prophet of God came to his father Jesse's house because the next king for Israel was coming from there. And the prophet shows up, knocks on the door and says, Jesse, you got any boys? I want to see them all. Jesse parades all of them in the, you know, the prophet sits down in the recliner because with a long, big cup of coffee, he knows it's going to be a long morning. And they all parade by. Nada, nix, uh-uh, mm, uh, 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 mm, uh, zippo. Jesse, you got any more boys? Oh, yeah, I got this kid out back. Jesse didn't even have enough courtesy to acknowledge David as his son up front. Yeah, he's out back. He just sits around and watches sheep and 
plays music and writes songs on a harp all day. You want to see him? Prophet said, I'm not going anywhere. Bring that boy in here. As he came across, we know the story. From David in the sea for the Messiah. Crazy. Then you've got Joseph. Another life. Wow. Joseph's life. How many of you are the oldest sibling in your family? You're the oldest brother or sister. How many of you are the younger, middle only? I'm the oldest of three boys, two younger brothers. I can never imagine my baby brother pulling what Joseph did with all of his older brothers. Came in one day and everybody knew he was his father's favorite because he had on his cool coat and drove a Ferrari. And <laughs> he comes into his brothers one day and says, hey guys, guess what? I had a dream last night. You interested? Here it is. Hold on. Are you ready? Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. One day, every, all of you are going to bow down and serve me. He had two brothers that also had anger management problems. Because their first response was, ah, let's kill him. It doesn't work that way. And some others had cooler heads that prevent, no, we can't kill him. He's our brother. All right. Let's just throw him in a pit, tell the old man he died. <laughs> and that's exactly what went down. Joseph, man, his life up and down and in and out of prison and favor and all in a mess. But then it comes about where the hand of God is continually on this young man. Number two of all of, in all of Egypt, a famine overtaking the entire region. And his brothers show up. Needing help, needing food. Now he could have licked his chops and went, I'm going to get even with them suckers. They're going to pay. And he strung them along for just a little bit. But when it all went down, he looked at them. Period, and said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph became a type of the Messiah, let alone the deliverer for his people. Sometimes we look at these and we go, well, these were Bible people. They were people. They were human beings. They were flesh and blood. Just one life. Oh, you go to the field of science. I remember this is going to be telling about my age, but I won't give you the number because, again, that also is none of your business. But I remember in school when they gave us a little sugar cube with medicine on it. <laughs> Seemingly insignificant. But that little sugar cube with medicine wasn't supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Spoonful of sugar. No, well, it did help the medicine go down because that little, that little sugar cube almost helped virtually wipe out polio in our world. Because of one man, Jonas Salt. How many of you are grateful for lights here today? 
One guy from New Jersey by the name of Thomas Edison lit us up forever. <laughs> you go to the field of human rights, Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. Martin Luther King pushed human rights way forward in our country. You come to the, the time of ministry, the Christian realm, the church realm. I love this one lady in Los Angeles, 90 some years ago. She was getting ready to build a great building. She was a passionate barnstorming evangelist that God told her, build a work in LA. And as she by faith put the shovel in the ground, she said, God told me if I dig a hole, he'd fill it. That lady was Amy Semple McPherson. She built the great Angelus Temple. There is no building in America that has continually housed spirit-filled ministry longer than Angelus Temple. In 1923, it was dedicated. Today, in, in 2016, it is blowing and going under my dear friend, Pastor Matthew Barnett in the Dream Center. They've had an incredible resurrection the last several years. Amy fed a million people on the streets of Los Angeles during the Great Depression. Besides seeing countless numbers come to Christ, their bodies made whole, an impact on culture and society, one life. Anyone here know Anyone who's ever been messed up on drugs? <laughs> Crazy. God spoke to a Pentecostal preacher in the hills of western Pennsylvania. He was kind of a backwoods, hillbilly kind of guy at one time. And he spoke to him to go to New York City because he'd read in a magazine about Puerto Rican gang members being on trial for a gang murder. And God spoke to his heart to go to New York and go to that trial. And when he showed up, you know what happened? They threw him out of court and made him look like a fool. But funny, that one man God used to revolutionize the way that we minister and see people delivered from the scourge of drug addiction in inner city life. His name was David Wilkerson. Just one Life. In just about four weeks, I'm going to take 250 people to Mardi Gras in New Orleans for my 35th year. We go and preach on the streets. There'll be 12, 13, 1,500 Christians from all over America. We'll see, uh, I mean, thousands of people will hear the gospel. Many will receive Christ. We've had miracles of healing right down the streets. There's no choir, no ushers, no charismatic climate control, just the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, groups have come from all over and, and make that an unofficial soul winners convention by going out and not hearing about it, but doing it. But all of this began about... Um, 50 some odd years ago when God spoke to a farmer from Iowa. And he told him to come down to the city of New Orleans during Mar Mardi Gras. You got a million people coming from all over the world, get crazy, drunk, naked, weird, and insane. <laughs> and God spoke to this farmer to go down. And he went down by himself. He began to pass out gospel tracts and tell people about Jesus. Then he began to do something else. He began to say, God sent laborers, sent laborers. 
And then in the mid-70s, that little Bible school in Oak Cliff, you've never heard anything about called Christ for the Nations. <laughs> Sent a van load of a handful of students. And that van load began to grow and multiply and graduates and students began to multiply off of there. Today, like I said, there's 12 to 1,500 students. I mean, people from all over the country, different churches, different ministries that go and spread the gospel there because one man went down and did what he could do and called out to God to send laborers. In my own life, I, uh, I decided to go to a high school reunion. Anyone ever here go to a high school reunion? They're scary. Yeah. <laughs> but I decided to go to the one that I finally graduated from. <laughs> if you remember my history. I wanted to see my former classmates while I could still recognize them. And so I'm, it, it was being held at a country club, so I decided I'm going to go early and leave early because I know what's going to happen. They're all going to get blasted, and I'm just not going to be around that mess. I'm standing around the pool talking to a couple of my old classmates. We're talking and sharing, and into the circle comes a guy. He's kind of working his way in. He's doing what I call glad hand. You know what I mean by glad hand? Hi, how you doing? How you doing? Remember me? Hi, 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 hi. How you doing? Yeah, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he'd be the world's best church usher on steroids. <laughs> he comes up and he grabs my hand. He says, hello, Scott. Do you remember me? And I'm thinking, I can never forget you. We were polar opposites in the high school social realm. His, doc his father was a prominent doctor in the community. He was Mr. Popularity. Mr. Great Scholar, Mr. Congeniality, Mr. Make Me Nauseous. <laughs> I would have been voted most likely to die in the electric chair. <clears throat> he takes my hand, he says, hello, Scott, do you remember me? I said, yes. He said, I want to tell you something you probably don't know. I knew your life. And after you became a Christian, you gave me a little pamphlet. And I figured if what was in that pamphlet had anything to do with the change in your life, I wanted to read it. And I did. I later on became a Christian. I'm in the ministry today. I'm a pastor. And I want to say thank you. One life. Just one life. There are two lives that are contrasted from the state of New York in, from the 19th century that I want to highlight to you. There's a fellow by the name of Max Jukes. He didn't believe in Christ or in raising his children in the way of the Lord. He refused to take his children to church even when they asked to go. Of his 1,026 descendants, 300 of them were sent to prison for an average of 13 years. 190 were prostitutes, and 680 were admitted alcoholics. His family cost the state in excess of $420,000, and he made no contribution to society. Remember, 
$420,000 in the early 1800s is multiplied millions and millions of dollars today. The other life I want to contrast it with is a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He also lived in New York around the same time as Jukes. He was known to have studied 13 hours a day, and in spite of his busy schedule of writing and teaching and pastoring, he made it a habit to come home and spend an hour each day with his children. He also saw to it that his children were in church every Sunday. Of his 929 descendants, 430 were ministers. 86 became university professors. 13 became university presidents. 75 authored good books. Seven were elected to the United States Congress. One was vice president of the United States. Edward's family never cost the state one cent. Just one life. Every person, according to a study, will have a profound influence on the average of at least 15 people during the course of their life. A profound influence that our life can make. What about the one life you could very well encounter in these days ahead? How many of you believe the Bible here at the River Church? Amen. Good, I want to tell Pastor Ann and Dr. John they've done a great job, praise the Lord. <laughs> Psalm 37, 23 is part of the Bible. It says the steps of a good man and woman, I believe, are ordered and directed by the Lord. It doesn't say the major events and important highlights and the big stuff in our life. Oh God, what am I going to do? Who am I going to marry? What is my career? God guides and directs our life by steps. Of course, if your step is out of sync, you won't connect the dots to the big stuff. But I believe, let's believe in the days ahead in 2016 that our steps could be ordered and directed by the Lord. How does that sound to you right now? Can we believe that God can fulfill his word today where he says that his desire is that none perish? How many of you are glad that God didn't want you to perish? Why not, my friend? Can we, can we believe that God will take us, as he did Esther, from the usual into the unusual? Yeah. Esther had a wonderful, blessed life after God upgraded her from orphan to queen. That's a pretty big jump. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think about what it would be like to be queen. It's hard. My name's not Bruce Jenner. But I started to think, okay, what would it be like to be queen, okay? Number one, you wouldn't have to go to the mall. They bring them all to you. Number two, you have no spending limits. Number three, you can get all the hair, nail, massage, whatever. I mean, pedicure, nose cure, head cure, whatever cure you need. 24-7, the best of the best. Esther went from being orphan to queen. That's a jump. 
And yet she's enjoying the blessings of queendom. And she comes face to face with a very difficult situation unfolding in her world, in her land, and amongst her people. There was a threatened annihilation of her people. And she has a very weird uncle by the name of Mordecai. And Mordecai is kind of the linchpin for everything that unfolds here. Because a crooked politician who is filled with, I mean, he's a legend in his own mind by the name of Haman, decides he's going to not only kill Mordecai, but wipe out the entire Jewish people. Sounds like a race thing to me, but moving right along. <laughs> Mordecai remembers he got family in high places. Because <laughs> he helped raise Esther after her parents died. And so he contacts her. And I don't know if you remember her initial response. Uh, look, I, I know there's problems, but you got to understand. I was an orphan, now I'm queen. I'm blessed. It's good. I'm the king's favorite wife. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> and you want me to risk that? My life's pretty good. Matter of fact, there's a policy here in this land that if the king hasn't asked to see you, you don't just barge in, even if you're his favorite wife. And I, here's a heads up, Morty. We call people Mordecai Morty in Jewish culture. Anyway, uh, he hasn't asked to see me in 30 days. I have no text, no emails, no post-it notes on the door. And if he doesn't want to see you and you show up, he kills you. <laughs> so you want me to put all of what I got at risk? Sorry, pal. Ain't going to happen. You know, Mordecai confronts her and says, Oh, my dear, you're not that cute. If he's going to wipe out all of the Jewish people, what makes you think he's going to skip you? Maybe you've become a queen, not just so God can love on you and bless you, which he did that. But maybe there's something greater. Maybe you became a queen for this moment. Amen. Such a time as this. Yes. We look at what's going on in America. It is an unusual moment. If you looked at what Nehemiah said, he said, to hear this, you elders, and all you people of the land, has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? They had to say no. Now, he was talking about an invasion of the locusts. We're not seeing anything like that, in a, you know, even in a science fiction movie, maybe in the new Star Wars, but nevertheless. But we're living in a time that no one on this planet has ever seen before. When you consider what's taking place, my weather, nuts, economy, crazy, government, we won't go there. <laughs> ISIS, 
affluenza. If you follow the news, crazy. I mean, you could go on and on and on. The Dallas Cowboys, oh God help them. <laughs> you know, we've all had crazy times in our life, but when you put all that's happened in the last year and you roll it into one, forgive me for bad grammar, ain't nobody ever seen anything like this one before. And Donald Trump? <laughs> and, we and we want to do church and live our religious lives as we've always lived them. It is not our grandparents' world. It is not our parents' world. It is not the world of five years ago. Billy, Franklin Graham was recently out. How many of you will give me 10 more minutes? Yes. Yeah. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. No, we're not going there. Franklin Graham was asked why he is so pointed and addressing issues in a very straight up manner. And the, and the uh, reporter was asking him why he was doing this, because his father never did this. And Franklin said, my father never had to face what we're facing right now. But you see, I believe, my friends, that the Church of Jesus Christ is here for such a time as this. I believe that we can help fulfill God's desire that none perish. Surely we can believe and trust God. We can believe and ask him to open our heart and do something fresh and new on the outset of 2016. Certainly we can take errant captive thoughts, captive errant thoughts, excuse me, got the two words flipped over. That's all right, I do that on occasion. But we can take captive errant thoughts, thoughts that pull us away from the heart of God God to reach this place before it's way too late. We could ask him to open our eyes and see the harvest. When Jesus said, lift up your eyes and see the harvest, he wasn't talking about seeing fields of grain and hearing worship music in the background. <laughs> but seeing the lives of men, women, and children whose lives could be touched and changed the power and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, just like ours have been changed. You see, my friend, I believe that you and I, we can find those lost coins. We can rescue the wandering sheep. We can bring back the prodigal sons and daughters. You see, the amazing value of just one life. I'm excited about the power of God moving through one life. Yours. There's a bone-chilling time recorded in biblical history. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. We read this, and this is absolutely mind-boggling to me. Where we read, I looked for a man... I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I wouldn't have to destroy it. 
but I found no one. I'm a pastor as well. I've pastored. I know at times you got to work hard to find extra people to work in the nursery. <laughs> you need, you're short in usher or two. But can you imagine the God of all creation looking for somebody, for something, and he couldn't find anyone? Wow. And yet if we go to the New Testament in John chapter 1, verse 6, we see the story of someone who said yes. The Bible tells us there came a man sent from God and his name was John. Let's say that together. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Let's do that again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. I want to change this for a moment. I want you to put your name at the end of that where it says John. Put your name in it. Now, now ladies, you got to work with me on this. <laughs> I know it says there was a man. So I'm going to give you two options. Either say woman with one syllable. <laughs> or go with me on man like in mankind. Okay. Is that good? But let's say that out loud. But at the end, I want you to put your name in there instead of John's. There came a man. Sent from God, whose name was Scott. Again, there came a man sent from God, whose name was Scott. Now let's close your eyes, and I want you to say it again, but listen with your heart. There came a man sent from God, and his name was Scott. Did you hear that? You see, just as there came a man sent from God, so too are you here today. In John 17, 18, Jesus said, Fathers, you've sent me, I've sent them. He didn't just say, Pastor, teacher, preacher, whatever, he sent you. The steps of a good man and woman are ordered and directed by the Lord. Can we believe? You want this, you want every seat in this house to be filled? It's not because of a preacher. It's not because of a program. It's not because of music. We're the ones. Psalm 94, 16 says, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against the evildoers? I'm not talking about being political. I'm talking about being pro-gospel in the world that we live in. You see, Esther had to take that. She was living a good, usual life. But when she says, I'm going in to see the king, she took a step from the usual into the unusual. She put it all on the line. She wasn't satisfied with a good, nice, queen, blessed life. Nothing wrong with that. Everything right. But she realized it wasn't all about her. But God has us here with a purpose and a reason. Just one life, my friend, your life. The consecration to Christ is imperative in 2016. 
I recently read of a group of missionaries. I have to say this. I've probably flown at least five and a half million miles in my life. I live on airplanes. It's not braggadocious. Some of you drive your car, your truck to work, you take a bus. That's like me taking an airplane someplace. Every time I go, I pack a suitcase. I read of a group of missionaries that when they went over to the missionary assignment years ago, they packed their belongings in a coffin because they knew they were not coming back. I'm not saying next time you go someplace, use a coffin. <laughs> but I'm saying the commitment and consecration to the purpose of God for their life was incredible. There were words that were spoken by a British revivalist by the name of Henry Varley into the years of a young man by the name of Dwight L. Moody. They went straight to his soul. He said this, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him, a man who will do like Esther, step from the usual into the unusual realm of, of total consecration to Jesus and the purpose of God for your life. Not being settled with being a spectator, but out living in the arena of everyday life representing Jesus Christ. You may say, preacher, that's a lot to ask. The world is crazy. I don't know what I could do. One final thought I want to give you as we close this morning. You know, there was a woman many years ago whose society would have said, you can't do much, you're deaf, you're blind, what good are you to the world? She made this statement. She said, I am one, but still I'm one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something I can do. Of course, her name was Helen Keller. My friend, there's plenty that the people of God can do in our time, in our world, in this community. You see, I believe our world is ripe for hope that comes not through a hologram in the sky, but through the life of someone just like me and you here today. The most valuable life today, the most desired vessel that heaven has is the person who is sitting on, in the seat you're sitting in right now. It's you. It's not here. It's not here, but right here. The most valuable life on this planet is your life. Wow, an easy exercise for us is to find somebody to bring next week. Pastor Ann mentioned that to me. Wow, why not? Some of us haven't done that in a long time. Some of us have never done that. Hey, it's a great time to do that. What about the one life you have today, my friend, as we close. 
two questions I want to ask as I pray within the next couple of seconds. Number one, in just a moment, I'm going to ask if you would desire Jesus to use your life to touch other people. I'm not asking you if you're qualified, if you feel qualified, if you are gifted. When I gave my life to Jesus, I couldn't even put two sentences together. My brains were fried. I'm an introvert by nature. God has a great sense of humor. <laughs> but in a moment, I'm going to ask if you would like and desire Jesus to use your life to reach other people. And I'm going to pray with you. It's been my privilege to do that with countless thousands of people throughout the years. I believe that's the will of God for you. But before that, I must ask this question here today. On the first Sunday of 2016, is your heart and your life yielded and surrendered to Jesus Christ? Nothing held back. I understand this is a great church, loves God, loves the move of the Spirit. I do too. Great leaders, great teaching. But I also know that going to church in and of itself doesn't make anyone a real consecrated follower of Jesus any more than living in a garage makes you a car. But it comes when we make that choice and make that decision to exchange the life that we have, good, bad, or indifferent, for the life that Jesus died to give us. Our parents being believers are great, but it really doesn't mean much for us when we stand before God. But today you say, I want to make my heart, my life right with God. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you are a believer, you walk with Jesus, but life happens, things go down, things are done to you, you do things. Sin. You need to make that right. The greatest way to start this new year was, is with a fresh heart and a fresh, clean spirit before God. Maybe you have never made that personal invitation to Jesus to come live inside of you forgiving you of all of your sins because he died on the cross to pay for them and asking him to take up residence inside of you. Whatever the case, with every eye closed for just a moment, and please honor that request. You say, Scott, I need to make my heart, my life right with God. I need to make a fresh surrender of my life to Jesus Christ. Would you put your hand up and down right now that I could see that and pray with you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several hands have gone up. The second question I'll ask you today is simply this. You say, I want Jesus to use my life to bring his life, his hope, and him to other people. If that's you right now, please don't raise your hand, but rise to your feet. And if you raised your hand a few moments ago to make your heart or your life right with God, would you join these on their feet as well? 
I'm going to ask you to raise your hands to the Lord. That's the universal sign of surrender to Jesus Christ. And as I lead you in a twofold prayer, I believe God answers simple prayers. I know from the first hand when I gave my life to Jesus, I just said, God, whatever, if you're doing, if you can do with me what you did in that guy, go on ahead and do it. And he did it. The second prayer that I prayed three days later, that is the reason that I'm with you today. As I knelt, I, I, I somehow got brought to a youth retreat. I don't even have a clue how I got there. Preacher preached, said, come down to the altar. I did that. Never did that before in my life. Got down on my knees. He said, raise your hands. I raised my hands. He said, say these words. And I said everything he told me to say. He said, God, here's my life. Take the good and the bad, do with it what you will. That I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Be what you want me to be. Say what you want me to say. I said those words. Crazy. I think Jesus looked down from heaven and said, I heard that, son, and I got you now. Which is why I've spent the entirety of my adult life circling this planet. In some of the greatest churches and in, in, in the darkest cities and worst neighborhoods. Telling people that Jesus Christ can change your life. I want to lead you in prayer right now. And I want you to pray loud enough that we fill this auditorium and drown out the thoughts of what someone else might think. Amen. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. I ask you right now, Lord, to take the life that I'm living in exchange for the life that you have for me. You died on the cross. You were buried in the grave and rose again to give me new life, to pay the price for my sins. Jesus, forgive me and cleanse me. Come live inside of me. I choose to follow you. Use all that I am and all that I'm not. Use all that I have and all that I don't have. Use everything I am about to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring his hope and life to other people in my world. Lead and guide my steps. You promised me you would. My life is yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now let's give God thanks. Can we do that? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you here today. I want to pray over you for just a second. Turn the service back over, but I'm thankful and grateful. Forgive me for going a little longer, but you're a long-winded church. But I pray God's grace for those of you that you made a commitment or a fresh commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. You need to come connect with the leadership of this church if need be. If you need somebody to walk with you, they're here. You know, the one great truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when God raised Jesus from the dead physically, he proved he's got the power to bring back you physically, mentally, emotionally, a situation, anything. God proved he's got the power to do that.
Secondly, God also proved he's got the power to use your life. Let God use you. You have a great opportunity next Sunday. I'm going to challenge you to do a couple of things. Number one, maybe begin to make a list right now of three people that you could pray about, pray for, and at least one of them you bring here next week. Now you may need to go pick them up. You may need to invite them to lunch afterwards. Hey, we, in our church in New Jersey that we pastored, it was an inner city pioneer church in a way, and we didn't, uh, folks didn't have cars to pick people up. We sent taxi cabs to go pick people up. Just in order to make sure we could get them to where we could bring Jesus to them. So today, we give the service back. Number one, if you made a fresh commitment of your life to Jesus, you come up here at the end and talk with someone here. If we, you want prayer, there'll be people to pray here with you. Secondly, this, make up a list of at least three people. How many of you can think of some people right now that you can talk to? You can reach out, you can call, you can text, you can knock on their door. And say, come on next week. Father, thank you for these men and women here today. Thank you for the moving of your spirit, your word. God, let it be sealed, not just by our amen and our thanks, but by our action. God, we thank you. We praise you. We pray for our pastors and leaders. Is there a way that you would use them and bless them, Father, and let them return back to us safely? Father, thank you for your people. Bless them abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen.